This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome back for another installment of the Revenue Reel Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rahovchek, and I am excited to bring you this episode today with the fabulous Derek Jankowski. So this is a new, should I say relationship, but a new person that I met recently. We had one conversation before this. Derek hit my radar um, because he has got a new manager skill development program and someone posted about it on LinkedIn and I was so intrigued and I just, I had to meet the man behind this addressing of a root cause problem in our industry, the onboarding program for managers. Anyway, today we talk about Derek's story and entry into sales. We talk the downsides of, you know, over complaining about managers. We talk about how we should live in a world where the vast majority of people love what they do and are excited to wake up every morning and get to work. We talk about the value of hard work and also how important it is to have fun while working. We talk both about the employee and the manager need to take responsibility for that relationship, again, on both sides. Naturally, we talk mental health. We talk learning how to lean into negative feelings versus aspiring to ice them out. We talk about EQ. We talk about Derek's program, the Next Level Leadership Mastermind. We talk race and gender biases in the recruiting process and how to root them out. We talk how uncomfortable it is to fire a human on the team, any human. And really though, (laughs) we, we just talk human friends. If anyone has any thoughts, questions, or comments about the conversation, definitely hit us up on the hotline at 646-470-0248. That is 646-470-0248. If you find any value in things that we're discussing, do tell a friend. I take that as the highest compliment. Of course, don't forget to follow the show. And with that, this is the Revenue Rail Hotline. I'm Amy Rahubchek, and enjoy. Oh my gosh, Derek Jankowski, is that, that's how you say it, right? Yeah. Or close yeah. enough to it? Okay, I you love it. it. It's, it's a good like Eastern Europe uh, representation right there with some W's and some vowels and some skis. You got it. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, friend. I am ecstatic to host you today and to have this conversation. So thank you for making some time for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. You know, I never asked you, how do you pronounce your name? I mean, I know um, how to that, say Amy, but. <laughs> uh, that's pronounced Smith, actually. Oh, good. Okay. It uh, <laughs> must also be Polish. Oh, my God. Well, Slo- Slovak, actually. But that's my that's my canned line for, for how do you pronounce it, which I, uh, I don't know. It's when I was selling in New York City, right? Like, you have to, you can't, like, just go to let us sit and knock on doors, especially if you're you're doing the skyscraper hopping thing. And so every time you've got to whip out your your license or whatever. And, and so this would be a question that I would field multiple times a day. 
And so anyway, that was my, that was my canned answer. And whenever I was training someone or like field training somebody, I would, I would just turn to them. And it was a great learning lesson in that you only need like five jokes while you're selling. And then yeah. it's just a matter of, <laughs> of saying them over and over and over again. So anyway, that's, that's all there is to it. When I, when, um, I, when I sold in New York, I had, I had two jokes. Can I tell them you? Okay. Uh, my name is Derek, like Jeter. He's my twin brother. Okay. And then, um, what was the other one? Oh, and then I would call, when I would call somebody, say, I was just, I was in your office the other day. You probably remember me like beard, you know, you know, 5'11, really, really good looking. They'd usually laugh at that. And then I'd be like, why are you laughing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's hysterical. Um, Derek, I love it. Okay. So let's get the business out of the way so we can just like dive in and have fun. Okay. First and foremost, our target audience is the experienced tech seller. The theme of the show, uncomfortable conversations in sales of which I'm sure we have plenty to choose from. Um, there are no rules other than, or there's only one rule and that is that there are no rules other than we keep it, we keep it real. This is a judgment free zone a mistake-friendly zone, a tangent-friendly zone. And yeah, so I generally reserve the last 10 minutes um, to ask you my two final questions, or one's a question and one is a piece of advice. And I think actually, Derek, I'm going to keep you on your toes on that one. Actually, well, I guess I could say, have you listened to any of these episodes? Do you do you know what you've gotten yourself involved in? <laughs> No, we just met last week. I have not. So plus it's, it's uncomfortable conversations. I figured go into it uncomfortable. (laughs) But this is why we get along. This is why we get along. (laughs) Um, Okay. So good. So I'll save the last 10 minutes. Let's just assume that everyone, like I do an intro at the beginning. So let's just assume everyone's heard a little bit of our, our banter backstory. Um, (laughs) Albeit a brief one. Uh, and yeah. Okay. So normally I, I have a list of, I make a list of things, um, that we could possibly start with. And then I like, I'll read that list and toss it back to you as far as like where you want us to begin. But I didn't, I didn't write anything down. I've got your name. That was as far as I got today. I I was trying to get a bunch of stuff done, but also we did speak right last week. But anyway, so if I had put things down, it would absolutely be about, um, you know, the frontline management, skill development and leadership training, everything. And you know, I, I just, I feel like that's such a powerful topic that needs to be spoken about and isn't being spoken about enough. So I'm, I'm delighted to cut off the list there, but I guess like, just since we've only had like one other convo and I don't think we covered this together, like, how did you get into sales? Why don't we start with that fast? And then we'll, we'll dive into the, the current state of affairs on the management skill development stuff. Yeah. So there's, there's two key events in my life that caused me to get into sales. One of them, when I was in like eighth grade, I somehow acquired a copy of the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, right? And oh, I know it well. I bought the get the game cash flow. Okay. Yeah. So I saved up for that one. It's <laughs> a fun game. Okay, sorry, continue. Um well, so in the book, one of the things he tells you to do is to learn how to sell. 
Okay. For anyone, I, I imagine everyone has read it or, or knows what it's about, but essentially his advice is own businesses and real estate. That's how you get out of the rat race and uh, have income that is not attached to how much you work. And what, so gives you some advice. One thing is learn how to sell. Cool. I'm going to do that. Right. And I was the kid who, you know, I'd sell candy bars for like Boy Scouts or like a fundraiser for school. And I would just go knock on doors in the neighborhood. I was always the guy who sold the most candy because I would just knock on every door in my neighborhood and just sell people a, a $1 candy bar. So I was never going to be afraid of like the hard thing or the uncomfortable thing. So I get to college, um, Michigan State, and um, I wake up one afternoon, my phone's ringing, and I answer it. It's a person who, a recruiter for a sales internship. So I went and met with okay. them and remembering what Kiyosaki said, what better way is there to learn yeah. how to sell than, than a program like this that was going to put me in a different state where I'd never been through a very rigorous training process. Uh, it was eat what you kill. And it was educational books and software at the time of the internet. Like that sounds hard. I'm sure that I'm going to learn some things. And I did. Right, I ended up right. doing that for five summers. Perfect. So that was my first foray there. Okay. So how old were you when you said that they called and how did they come to find your number? Like, were you legit cold, cold for this particular job or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually crazy event. So it was freshman year of okay. college. So I, I started college at 17 because of where my birthday falls. So I don't okay. remember if it was before or after my birthday, uh, which would have been October. Um, but I later found out that it was actually a wrong number that they were calling somebody else. Yes, yes. I happened to answer and agree to go to the meeting. That so, is excellent. Yeah. Talk about serendipity. What I heard from that story is a couple of things. One, you took away, it sounds like you internalized that line from the Robert Kiyosaki book um, pretty deeply. Mm -hmm. And so much so that the first opportunity that someone gave you to like learn how to sell, it was like, let me just jump at it and jump on it. And that's pretty impressive actually for 17 too. So that's all baller, baller moves right there. Okay. Excellent. 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 So how tech sales, when did you transition into tech sales? And then the next question, just so you know where we're going with this, Derek, is when did you, like, I want to hear the story about how you two came to the realization that skill development for frontline managers mm -hmm. is the move. Yeah. All right. Let me see if I can bunch that into one answer. So okay. uh, I, I also had a, so the job I just described to you is a summer job. I inevitably had a during the school year job that also was sales. We called alumnus for donations, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I graduated, I had this sales experience, but I had like a completely useless degree. Interdisciplinary <laughs> studies and social sciences, totally okay. useless. You can't do anything with that. But what I could do was what I had was that piece of paper and then this experience that would qualify me to go do sales. Um, so I was at a campus job fair and Dell was there. It's Dell Computers, right? They're a Fortune yeah, 50 yeah, yeah. company. And yeah. uh, the recruiter and I hit it off, like, blah, blah, blah. I did some good discovery in the interview. They flew me out, they, uh, you know, whatever. So they ended up hiring me. So I worked for them for the first two years uh, okay. out of school, selling, you know, their 50,000 technology products to 
SMB businesses. And then my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, got into grad school at NYU. And so that is how, where I connect with, with ZocDoc, which is my first SaaS That's company, my first right. startup. That's right. Um, and I was a, an early hire. It's so the 35th overall hire uh, for that company. Oh my gosh. I, for, I completely forgot about that. And you know what? I don't even think you mentioned this. I know we talked patient pop. So I've loved ZocDoc. I was one of the very early, very, very early humans. And I just, I don't have enough good things to say about how ball, like, mm, yeah. And how <laughs> angry I was when I really, like when I, like I actually, whatever, went to New Jersey to help. This was recently, my sister was in the process of going through a divorce, had never lived by herself, had never, two little kids, right? And so I went to go be nearer to her. And I guess there were some issues with the this, the laws. And so there wasn't enough access or as much access in, in the state of New Jersey as in New York. And I think the thing about that entire move, about that entire time that I was most upset about was that my ZocDoc universe... <laughs> Is going to be impacted. Okay. But anyway, yeah. so employee 35, that is baller. Not to mention, it's one of my favorite how I built this episodes. It was one of the recent ones, too. Oh, Did you I hear this? I haven't heard yeah. that. Yeah. Um, well, how I built this on ZocDoc. So it's like the story of ZocDoc from the very beginning, whatever I digress. Okay. So now here we are now fast forward. I know you've, you've spent time and have some good, like crazy cool backstory with KD Dorsey and over at patient pop, um, very similar business model. So, and, and I know that Justin Welsh had spent time at, at ZocDoc as well. So, um, pretty, pretty clean lines of connection there. I, I guess, but now I want to bring us to like what it was about what you're producing and what you're saying out there um, that really stood out. And that is focusing on one of the root cause problems with our industry right now, specifically, let's, let's say the, the problem statement, right? Just so we're on the same page with tech sales is I think that most of us are pretty accustomed to, and sadly operating in, in toxic, toxic work environments. Would you agree with uh, that? Or is that uh, too strong of a problem statement? I don't know. I saw something on LinkedIn this morning. It was probably Jeff uh, Risley who posted that. I think you commented on this thread. That there's <laughs> like 55% of people have a toxic boss or something. There's a lot of yeah. stats like that. I haven't seen any of the research. Um, I've been really fortunate, I think, in, in having good bosses in most places, not everywhere, but like good bosses and joining good companies. Um, but it's clear that a huge number of people don't feel that way. You know, if you spend any time on the internet, <laughs> you know, Reddit or TikTok or whatever, like complaining about work and bosses and distress and everything is, is, uh, sort of a permanent fixture of our culture. Um, and I think that that's a tragedy. I, really believe here's the thing like we have biological needs we need to consume calories and blah 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 right so we have to go put in effort in order to acquire the things that we want and as culture develops we want more and more things nobody that i know would be satisfied living the way that our ancestors lived 200 years ago we want the internet the iphone netflix yada yada so those things cost money and to get money if we put in effort 
And a lot of people are like, oh, got to go to work. That's a bad it by itself is a tragedy to me. We should, um, we should live in a world where the vast majority of people are either excited to do what they do or at least have fun doing it, right? I've done some dirty shit. I've not, I don't know. Can we swear on your show? Is that cool? Or, Fuck yeah, we can. Okay. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I knocked on doors in 110 degrees with 100% humidity, right? Like when I did that job in Houston, I didn't have a car and it rained on me every single day. That is miserable. But I was able, what I learned is how to have fun anyway. And most people go to work and they sit in, most of the people listening to this podcast probably sit in a cushy office, temperature controlled with free snacks and make a you know, decent living, but complain about it. Like, why is that? Well, okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pause you here for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unless you want to finish your thought, but like you've given me, there's been four yeah. things that I'm just, now I'm just like chomping at the back. Cool. Well, let me just say this. I believe okay. that the reason um, or a major reason is the person's boss. I don't know if you want to call that toxic, but most people never get any training in how to be a manager. How can you expect that person to create a wonderful work environment when they don't, you know, they don't get trained at anything. So hit me with, uh, what There's you got. There's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So first thing I want to acknowledge a, a point that you made well, right. And I would, I would even concede that. And that is that, Toxic is is too strong of a word. However, the importance of one's boss in how they feel on a regular basis going to work is critical and cannot be overstated. And also, I think one thing that we agree on is that um, there's not enough skill development or onboarding in the like frontline manager space. Would we agree with that? Oh, yeah. Okay, but it's funny to me, though, because so I also agree with you on the, the nature of work. I think that to work is to be human. I think, but I also don't subscribe. Like, I, I've, <laughs> this is like, I've paid dearly for this one, too. But like, now, I, once you experience what it feels like to work on something that you're passionate about with a team of people that you're all pulling in the same direction, you know, and so it's like a team sport. It's kind of like taking the blue pill. Oh, in an environment where you're being uh, groomed and led and learning to lead and growing as a human being, as well as a professional, right? Once you've experienced that, it's hard to unlearn it. Um, but, but yeah, work and working hard is non-negotiable. And I certainly do not apologize for the amount of hard work that is associated with this profession, period, end of story. I too have knocked on doors. I've never done it without a rain jacket or an umbrella. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, blowing past those like do not solicit signs, like going to people's houses. Like I, I yeah, okay. So I feel you there. And it this profession requires hard work. That said, one of the reasons why I think people dread their jobs and dread their workplaces is because they do not feel valued. They do not mm -hmm. feel um, 
like they're not allowed to be creative. They're not allowed to, you know, there's, there's not a lot of psychological safety, right? Which is pretty darn hard to cultivate in this profession at all, right? Because if you don't hit your number, <laughs> you're not safe, you know? And so in, in many ways, however, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you brought us full circle in that it's hard to work and feel good about working when you don't have a good relationship or a working relationship with your boss. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I want to want to point out here, Amy, is both people involved in that relationship should take 100% responsibility. Okay. It's a 200% Excellent. Yeah. responsibility Excellent. plan, right? I, I would like to speak to managers. I, I, you know, I think our conversation is primarily for the managers there. Um, and I have a solution. I know that you know this, that starts to address this. I'm sure we'll get into it. But it is the responsibility of a leader to, it is absolutely the responsibility of the leader to work on this problem, right? Selfishly, it addresses the team's performance uh retention people's autonomy how much work you as a leader actually have to put into the team long term like when you address this problem all those things are fixed people stay stay longer do better and require less of your own effort to keep going so why why wouldn't you and i think most people just don't know how or they just don't think about yeah. it or they feel too pressured to do 10,000 things you know, I, I think you're spot you're spot on with it. Most people don't know how. This is why you're doing the large work, Derek, right? Just to you know, create those systems and processes <laughs> that and like the program, seriously, to like move from okay, I buy in, I've I've got awareness, step one, check. Now what? Right? What the hell do I do um to cultivate these skills? But like I guess what where I find it kind of funny, but at the same time, a little bit sad. And like, you know, let me just grab the tear that it's about to drop from my eye is that part of being a leader and part of being able to help someone with the emotional roller coaster that is this profession requires us to have as individuals to gone through the hard work of regulating ourselves as the individual. And so call this mindset, call this therapy, call this mental health, call this resilience, call this whatever the hell you want to call it. It goes by lots of different names. But I I found as someone that spent a lot of time in this profession without doing any work on like real work on my mentals other than try not to feel anything bad, right? And get mm -hmm. really good at icing them out versus learning how to lean into them, learning how to label them, learning how to connect average reaction to a trigger event to some maybe some value judgments or limiting beliefs that I had. And so that kind of work that goes into it's almost like a foundational work on myself is the is the very essence of what allows me to be empathetic, right to use or to apply EQ in my relationship with the humans around me. Yeah. And then I can marry that, right? Just a basic understanding of myself and my own emotions and how to regulate them and how to like get a little bit better every day. And where does, you know, exercise fit in and food selection and body sensations and all of these things is what 
makes up my ability to be empathetic towards others, right? And I guess when we hear about EQ and we hear about EQ skills, it's almost always something that we apply externally or interpersonally, but it's never framed or very rarely is it framed to be about like the way that we understand ourselves and our own emotions. And so in that same vein, I've got a lot of empathy for, for men really that are maybe a little, have not now, mind you, let's, let's, you said that there's no stats on what's going on in the market. And I would point directly at RepVU, right? Just for starters, right? There's okay. a, that's a perfect, perfect. Oh, so it's R-E-P-V-U-E. I'm not seeing your face anymore, Derek, but I'm sure you know about Ryan and yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's like there. tons. Yeah. There's tons of data about the state of, of our, of our profession, tech sales in particular coming out of RepVU. Um, also like I'm with you on how there's, you know, both sides of the party like need to take responsibility. And I would even say 150% is the rep should be on you to manage and, and that relationship with your, your, uh, manager and 150% on the managers and downstream, right? So everyone's doing above hundred percent. However, the majority of the dialogue and messaging that's, that's been out there right now, that's kind of perpetuating this asymmetrical power imbalance right? Is it favor? It's like, oh, bad sellers. Sellers are going to hop around. Sellers are, they're selfish. They are blah, blah, blah. So I'm being coin operated. (laughs) Yeah. Coin operated, right? Cogs, line items on a spreadsheet. Like there's tons of different ways to frame it. And so I'm a little bit more vocal on the counterpoints, right? Just because we're, we're overdue on some of those. Um, But the original point here is that guys, we, we all were raised in a society where it's not it's, it's a faux pas to talk about your emotions. And it is, I think, a little bit simpler for women to find their way to understanding themselves emotionally than it is for guys. But now I can marry that with the fact that 80% of sales leaders in this space right now, actually probably something closer to 85, are mostly white men. And so the lack of empathy and the lack of self-awareness on that frontline manager ranks is, I I think it's all connected. And so to your point though, and to your mission, which is drive skill development. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is a massive, massive part of it. And again, you're doing the Lord's work. However, I think that that is just a, a part of the leadership, I guess, track Mm -hmm. are, are the skills. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Is it, can I take a minute and talk about the program just so everybody knows? Hell yeah, hell yeah. Okay, you can. cool. Let's do it. So right now it's called the the Next Level Leadership Mastermind, but really think of it as it's a private group, a very small community of early stage, early career sales leaders. And when I took my job at Patient Pop, I think I was tapped for that role for a bunch of reasons. But you know, Justin Wells, who put me there. I think he just knew I would figure out the job. I had some leadership experience and there's a bunch of things I did in order to figure things out. We hired external leaders, we promoted internally, and I'm just watching people fail. And I'm seeing that across other companies as well. The average VP tenure is like 19 months. And like, so when the pandemic happened, I just decided uh, to start to start this group, which is a, a weekly one-hour call where you can bring your own business challenges, get some training, and connect with other people in a similar position, and 
it's shortening the learning curve for new sales leaders. And it's been really powerful. The people who are in it, the people who piloted are still in it, uh, value it a tremendous amount. We've added some more people recently. And so I'm, it's, I call it my passion project. I'm really passionate about sales leaders getting this because what most people probably notice is when you hire new salespeople, if they get wins early, they see a little bit of success early, that is a strong predictor on whether or not they'll be successful in the role. And that's just how humans work. So it's the same in leadership. You get thrown into a leadership job and you're doing the wrong things. The feedback you get on that in terms of performance is, is more delayed than when you're a rep. So by the time you realize that you did the wrong things, it's, it's oftentimes too late and you're getting fired, right? So it's important to have a community to go to where you can have these conversations and understand how do I do this thing that I know that I have to do instead of just going with my gut? Yeah. So that's what the program is. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm like scrolling through, I'm looking. So listeners, I found Derek, there was a gentleman that had done a post on LinkedIn about the ballerness of Derek's program. <laughs> I think it was Tom. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's Tom's last name? Let's give him a shout out. Um, oh my God. I, why am I oh, Thomas Joseph. Thomas, Thomas Joseph. Yeah. So, so he's okay. in, he's in the group. Yeah. He joined recently. He is in the group. Okay. Wait. So here is checked out content from next level leadership mastermind. Hope it, ahead of a live call. He hosts every Wednesday. This masterclass is mainly for first time managers tackling real work issues with a collaborative effort from the members. I attended a call last week and it blew my mind with how helpful it is. Exclamation point. If you'd like more info, hit him up. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was a pretty baller call out. And you know, it's interesting. Um, I don't want to use the word therapy, but I love I love this idea of the group sessions because it's like the opposite of like grab a guru, stick them on stage, hand them a microphone and let them tell us all how they figured everything fucking out. And it and it's and more of like a crowdsourced. Um, but anyway, so I think yeah. that that's pretty awesome but there's something that you said that i that really stuck with me that was pretty there are two things actually the first and i'm going to share the one that i i almost dis, not disagree with but would debate the counterpoint on cool. and then i'm going to share the one that i agree with and you can decide which way you want to go with it if you if you don't mind okay so the one that it's the delayed understanding of what works versus what doesn't in a manager role versus the seller role yeah. And I think that that's a little bit false in the sense that, right, with selling, there's a revenue number attached to it there. And there's like every tech that you could possibly imagine to measure your activity and like whatever, and how you could do it in Google Sheets. And so we're just much more accustomed to measure, measuring the activity. And sometimes I know that KD is all over this. So I know that you've got the effectiveness and the conversions down on lockdown, but to measure the activity and the effectiveness at, on the seller front. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. With with frontline managers in the same way that we don't even have the skills outlined as like a basic or any kind of onboarding programs to speak of other than, you know, like a couple handful if yours and, and Scott Lee's his book comes to mind. But, you know, Derek, you're one of the only programs that I can think of. But that said, we don't have the framework to measure the activities, the best. Well, one, what those best activities are mm -hmm. and then to measure those activities or to measure the variation, right? So coaching individuals, right? There's a lot of the same sort of activities that happen, but there's a lot of variation from person to person. 
that just seems like an apples versus oranges comparison. And then, and then real quick, the one that I did agree with is that how important your small wins are and how indicative those early starter events and the effectiveness of those starter events are when it comes to predicting the long-term results. And so I'm also reminded of Dan Pink's latest book, uh, When, right? The Scientific Benefits of Perfect Timing, something to that effect. And it really goes deep into how important those small wins are. And so to that point, I would say I agree wholeheartedly. Okay, yeah. What were you going to say about the delayed? Or <laughs> <either one? laughs> well, I'm going to give you an example, right? So you're a new sales manager and you come in and um, so I have my own podcast, right? Interview people about uh, their leadership experience. Here's what comes up over and over and over. And I think most people will recognize this in, in a sales manager and themselves. Sales managers often think of themselves as a super rep. They come in. On, on deals and save the day, right? So um, I'm going to argue that in most cases, you should not do that. Do it if it's a particularly big deal. No, um, let people fail. I'm with you wholeheartedly. Let people fail. It is better long-term for that person to fail and learn from it than for you to save the day. And so yep. what looks like a good decision in the short term ends up being a bad decision in the long term. And unless somebody tells you that, you don't find out until a quarter later when that person has not gotten any better, but your plan required them to, like your comp plan or the business plan required them. I don't know, Terry. Well, so it's just like this age old. You're selling. So first of all, I didn't know that you had a podcast. I just found it. Next Level Leadership, a live podcast. I cannot wait <laughs> to get into this. No, seriously, I got so right. distracted. You should come play with uh, Colin Mitchell and I and over at SalesCast, that community. Um, for sales podcast humans. Um, but anyway, so I don't know, like, have you, mm, this is where I don't think of all the books that we read while we're learning to sell. Mm -hmm. If you, I mean, how many books have you not read on leadership or on coaching where that like, it's such a basic thing. Like people will learn by doing and people learn more from their mistakes. And, and as long as you, you're not cutting the cord, right. For lack of a better, like you're creating dependencies. And so I just, I think of how, I don't want to say how hard someone's working to not, not recognize that or not know that, but at the same time, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. And if no one has shared that with you and you've not done any reading on, uh, you know, how to grow a human being or how to lead a team of people or coach, even from a sports context, like you're right. That's absolutely going to be a mistake that you make. Right. But, but again, it's, it brings me back to like, I don't have, it's in the same way that we want our reps to take full responsibility, right. For the relationship with their manager or for, you know, learning about the market acumen or the business acumen in a way that's beyond the product or the features and the onboarding program that we generally put them through, right? We want that. I, where is the accountability on at the leadership level or, and now mind you, I differentiate between sales boss and sales leader. Yeah. And well, I, I like, where, where is that accountability? Yeah. I mean, where I believe it should happen is with the, the manager's boss, right? A lot. Oftentimes what happens is in most of my experiences in, is in startups and the startup says, okay, we need to sit, we need a, a sales manager. 
let's go grab our best performing sales rep and just tell them to get everybody else to do what they're doing. And it's really common for that to fail as a plan because the skills are different. There are skills that you need as a sales leader that don't that you don't need as a rep, but also is different. You know, if you're a rep, it's you're often very focused on like getting the win right now, short term, set up next oh, step. Oh, come on. I know tons of managers and leaders and people on Wall Street and venture capitalists that are really interested in the short-term gains over the long-term ones too. Exactly. Then that's the problem. When you want somebody to be a sales manager, you want the person who is more focused on long-term. Yes, there are often things you have to get done in the short term in order to turn around. Sometimes you're, you're turning a team around or, or whatever but you have to focus on the long-term over the short-term. And Which the is pressure... Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, just the pressure is to not do that, right? We need to hit this number today. Sorry, go ahead. I, I talked over you this time. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. And it, I think I... So I pushed back just because I'm like beyond over this all the stigmas <laughs> around sellers as be, oh, they hop around or, oh, they... Mm, that serves no one when you're in an environment that is pushing you to move quickly, like, and then you're operating that way. And also, you know, when you're moving from place to place and you are given no information about what the culture is like, or where the strengths and the weaknesses are like, yeah. mm. and so I'm just, that's where my flag is. Um, but I, mm -hmm. I think we, I think that I don't meet many people that are doing something about it. Right. Derek. And that is why you're one of my favorite people right now. <laughs> you're going after the heart of the problem and you're doing it in, in a pretty unique way in like, especially in sales. And like, I'll, I'll even take it a step further. Like there, these problems that we're describing while they are acute in tech sales, mm -hmm. right? This is pretty across the board in many ways. And we can look at, you know, just the nature of, of the workplaces that are evolving, right. Post COVID and, and how broadly this, almost this demand for change is going. Would you, would you agree with that? Uh, what do you mean? Like, okay. Like base camp is an example that I use, you know, how the, the founders, they had that list of, of nicknames for all the clients and a bunch of people we're complaining, right? Not complaining, right? Which is a word actually reminding me, I want to go back to that word that you used, but the, the employees were saying like, these are derogatory names. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. And so the founders were like, okay, new policy, no more talking about social issues and work channels, right. And work communication channels. And in, in lieu of this new policy, they put out like, we'll, we'll buy out or we'll, um, you could take a, a buyout, like something like six months salary, if you don't want to adhere to these new this new policy. Um, and like a third of the company was like, screw it, you know, fine, we're leaving. Just because this, the nature of the culture, right? To not talk about social issues, that it started as a way, like we do not want to come up with nicknames that are derogatory about our own fucking clients. Right, right. Same thing with remote working policies, right? And so I... There's, there's that. I just, I think it's a little bit broader, but I do think that the pains in, in tech sales and on tech sales floors are a little bit greater. I also push back on this idea of complaining, 
right? Because that tends to be a label that we stamp onto reps' foreheads whenever something is just highlighted as being an issue. Yeah. And so there's very rarely a safe or meaningful way to be able to bring issues to the table without being labeled. Yeah. I and I think so. I I'm I'm a little bit leery of that word reps complaining or people complaining. But again, did, big did difference. I say that word? I don't remember saying that word. Are you? Are you yeah, it was at the I beginning. Yeah, cool. it was. It was at the beginning when you were saying about the refs. Well, here's the. If I could address that, like not sure, even what I said, yeah. but like I love it when reps complain. Like my reps can complain, right? I'm doing air quotes here, but like tell me that things are wrong. I want that. I want to encourage that because as soon as you step out of a, a sales role, like your experience selling the product immediately or being in that role immediately starts becoming obsolete. And as you move up the chain, director, VP, whatever, like you get further and further away from that. So who knows best what needs to happen in the org in order for productivity to happen? Well, those ideas are going to come from usually the people on the front lines. And so reps on my team, I would thank them when they would tell me that something is wrong. I did it today with one of my consulting clients. Excellent. One of the reps was like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Da, da. Cool. Thank you for speaking up. Like, here's why, right? Here's, here's what I'm actually doing. Here's why we're doing that. And then it was like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. You know? Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Point made. Well taken. Um, okay. So you know what else to do then since you brought it up is the... Yeah. You did you ever read the the mental health article, the one that I shared? Because yes. I'm I'm about to talk about Project Oxygen. Cool. And the other reason why, like this this management skill development thing, is is across the board. And and so, listeners, just for everyone, there Google about ten years ago did an exercise um, where they looked at teams and the well, looking for like trends uh, about managers and do what is the impact that managers have on the effectiveness of the team unit and you know what should surprise or shock no one obviously was critically important massively important and they were able to suss out eight characteristics initially they have since added to psychological safety being one of them but the eight characteristics that google came up with um that like made for great managers whatever it's a good list google project oxygen. I don't have them all memorized, but I remember one of them on the list. It was uh, technical acumen. Yeah. And that is a word that's used to describe, like if somebody has the skills to do the job, right? If I'm a great seller, then theoretically speaking, I've got the technical acumen to lead a team or manage a team of, of, of sellers. That is one out of the original eight characteristics. It was one of the eight, but was one of the lower ones. And when I look at how that plays out in sales, Right. That tends to be the only characteristic that we look for or seek out when it comes to manager promotions. And Derek, like I, I know that you know all these things. And I almost want to end it there because maybe I'll link to the article in the show notes because I'm far more interested in hearing your take, Derek, on the the gender and race aspect of manager promotions. Um and the how lack of experience is generally afforded to those that look and sound and, and have similar experiences to the leadership ranks, i.e. white men, no offense, white men, just throwing out the numbers or using some of the, the stats. Whereas the rest of us are generally held to a, 
oh, you don't have experience. And so we're not afforded that opportunity to try as frequently. Yeah. So first thing I want to say is it is incredible. You know, I'm all right, everyone, like I'm a white guy. I'm not offended by anything you said. We should be able to talk about these stats like adult. It is true, especially in tech, that most leadership looks like me. And most people in sales look like me. And I think there are filtering mechanisms at each step. Companies will filter out people and people will filter themselves out. I'll talk about a couple of things that I've observed. What keeps me up at night is not, did I hire the wrong person as did I miss out on the right person because there's bias or something in the hiring process that shouldn't be there. So if you're hiring in a, make sure you're using a scorecard. My friend Amy Volus is excellent on this specific topic. I'd recommend y'all look her up. Amy Volas, V-O-L-A-S. Um, what you want to do- Listeners, if anybody doesn't know who Amy Volas is or Thursday Night Sales, <laughs> like we got bigger problems. Yeah, I'm sorry, Derek, please continue. Uh, no worries. Uh, but like sit down and figure out what you absolutely need in the person that you're hiring before you talk to anybody, right? Or, or you know, not in the interview process. Never hire based on your gut. Hire based on what you believe is going to lead to success and check on that scorecard. Score everybody, observe how people do and, and iterate on that scorecard. And you want to get the bias out. It is very easy to make decisions based on who you like and you're going to like people more if they're like you, whether that means race, gender, or where they're from, or you like the same sport, or went to the same school. Like none of that matters. Hire the people who are best, and the the best way to do that is to develop a scorecard. And then the flip thing, flip side of what happens is, if everybody in your organization is the same, all you know, uh, all straight white guys from west united states like then when you interview somebody who isn't that they can often feel out of place and you might lose them even though they're great for the org even though you want to keep them so one thing that i've done in that situation is so early in the days of building my org we interviewed we just ended up interviewing a lot of women um because they you know they passed the early stages so we'd bring them in and like I kind of, you know, I a little bit overused the the women who were on the team. Like we had a Evie was one of our, our top reps at the time. And I asked her if there was somebody I thought was a really good fit. I would ask her if she would just go meet this person at the end of the interview. I just want them to see that people like you are here. Right. That's it. It's part of the selling somebody in the role process. Like you are not going to be the only woman on the whole team that can feel isolating. Right. And you've got to sometimes think outside the box and just figure out like, what do we have to do for this person to feel you said this earlier, psychologically safe in this role. So I think that's really important, but because mo- many organizations don't do that, uh, I don't know how many, but I'm going to say not enough based on what the results, like then when you go to put people in leadership, you have your reps are already disproportionately skewed so of course leadership is going to be disproportionately skewed which becomes a feedback effect on who you're going to hire 
Yeah, I, I would propose. Well, first of all, you navigated that one beautifully. I, I pulled it out. <laughs> Derek, I like dragged you out of your comfort zone. I wish you could see my face while I was smiling while I was doing this. Um, and you're the first person that I myself have posed this question to. So if there's any indication of uh, where I, how I feel about you, <laughs> the harder the questions, the better, the more I feel about you. <laughs> Um, no, but so it's, I would, I would flip it that it's, it's starting from the top. And so last year, 98% of venture capital went to mostly white men. That is yep. a, a percentage point worse than two years ago. So, and you can even look at the IMF has an economic participation index by gender. We are in the United States actually moving backwards and we are pretty low on the, the rank of first world countries. And so the challenges in this in this country in particular are, are, are big ones. And uh, in the, in tech space, it's one of the worst. And in tech sales, it's one of the worst departments in one of the worst industries. And so, but then that, that trickles down from there. And so when you've got a sales leader and then or sales boss, and then sales managers, the dynamic, the demographics on the floor play out at 80, 20. Right. And that's all there is to it. So but that said, like, I think recruiting is just one piece of it, but it's then it comes to retention. And, you know, if there's I could have also tossed at you the uh, the turnover rate for for sales managers um, or sales bosses, really, which is what is it, 12, 14 months on average, the tenure. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That that turnover is isn't helping anyone either, really. Okay, but so I'm looking at the clock now, and I'm gonna. Do you have any final thoughts or to add before <laughs> I bring <laughs> no. before I bring us to the? Okay, good. So my last question. There's two, right? So the last one is the easy one. It's what's what one piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations and sales, right? So we'll come to that one. But before so, when you think about your time in your career. Right. And so every conversation revenue related, whether it's with a buyer, whether it's with a boss or a peer or a hiring manager or, you know, prospect client, whatever, um, spouse, children, right. Ripple effects to not allowing mental health into the conversation at all. Um, but that said, what is the hardest, most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have? Oof, that I've ever had to have. Wow. Mm. In a revenue context. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, well, I'll just, uh, it's hard to pick the most, but I'm just going to tell you about one. So uh, okay. th that comes to mind is okay. um, I had a rep that I hired who, who wasn't doing well. And I eventually put him on, you know, we get to pick. And it's only, you know, we had a document before the pit and then we had a pit and I intentionally made it a month long instead of shorter, but he didn't get, I believe that he didn't actually get that he had to do what I was asking until the pit came out. I could see in his eyes and that's when he realized I was serious. Dials, doing the things like, you know, activity, following the process, all this. Like we know what works at this point. You have to do it. You can't just go do your own thing. Okay. Um, and, uh, I ended up having to fire him and I felt awful about it because had he, he was starting to pick it up and it had just been too long. Right. Where like 
his meetings started falling through. And so like the result wasn't there, but the, the, the activity, like the inputs were finally getting there. People on the team were asking me to give him more time to extend it. And I just like, I couldn't. Okay. So I had to let him go. And he's a really good guy. I've been a reference for him since I, 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 I understand he's been successful in, in later roles and just like, it kills me when I think about that because could I have taken the risk and then maybe him do it, then like the whole team see that you can ignore what it takes to be successful for that long. I don't know that I made the right decision. Um, it's still uncomfortable years later thinking about it. Wow. Okay. So like, I want to, so listeners for, I mean, I'm, I'm almost positive. Everyone knows what PIP stands for, but if we've got any stragglers from other, you know, professions that stands for performance improvement plan, uh, this is something that we <laughs> as sellers are hit with when we're not hitting our number. Anyway, although I have strong opinions, shockingly, Derek, you may find this hard to believe that I have strong opinions about something, but it's, uh, it, <laughs> you in most know. cases, <laughs> well, although like one of my favorite, um, you know, one-liners from, from Ryan holiday this past like year, I guess you could say is what would it be like if I didn't have an opinion about that, which yeah. has been life-changing by the way. So I've only in certain instances when it, but anyway, with the pips, we don't generally distinguish between effort, right? Those that are trying to <laughs> apply effort versus the results. And so it was nice to hear you to throw in that, um, that distinction there, Derek, and shockingly your, your, you're, uh, you know, ahead of the class or ahead of the Thanks. curve, as they say. Okay. But that said, how many people have you had to fire in situations like that? So much so that this one instance, I'm assuming it's more than one. That I've had to fire or this total? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, just based on, well, and you don't even have to share the full number. I'm just curious, like, what was it about that one conversation was it the, the the grassroots campaign to keep them around or like what was <laughs> I mean <laughs> what was it about that one that 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 felt or was so memorable and uncomfortable? Yeah, it's it's a combination of things, but it's like I wanted him to be successful <gasps> so bad. Ooh, sorry, I don't know. Sorry, I'm, we're um, pro puppies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wanted him to be successful so badly. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's also when you fire somebody, they lose their livelihood. And so firing somebody is always hard. It is the worst, hardest part of the job, but you have to do it because protecting the team is the most important thing. If you keep somebody around who just, who's not making it, like it degrades the culture of the team and you need to have a high performance culture. Yeah. which isn't to say just start firing people wantonly you know the way that you do that with psychological safety is laying out a clear process that is objective that you follow you know exactly what's gonna like what gets you fired you know exactly the pathway to get there you know all the points where you can turn off and 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 make it right there are no surprises mm -hmm. um but i've fired more people than i wanted to <laughs> um yeah. You know, I've done my best to, uh, you know, to give people more chances when I could. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that answers your I don't actually remember the exact question, but. <laughs> no, no, it was what, like, what, out of all the people that, oh, I thought that was, I was the in, only one oh, that that happened to. In the, in the team, yes. And the team was rooting for him so hard, right? 
like, or yeah. at least several people on the team, you know, and more than yeah. one person say, come on, can't we give him more time? And I, and I had actually already extended the pin. He just wasn't getting there. And so anyway. And here we are full circle as people learn from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you know, that you've still been a reference that you've heard that he has, you know, learned to perform or figured it out. Right. And some people, it just takes a little bit longer and kudos to him for sticking with it, you know, but maybe just maybe that it was this action that was one of his trigger events to get him to change his behavior too, just to play devil's advocate or (laughs) silver lining or whatever stupid cliche we want to use in this instance. Um, Okay, perfect. So one piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations, Derek Jankowski. Plan for them. Think about what what it's really about, what you want to say, what you think is going to happen, what result you want to get. Like if you've never fired somebody, ask another manager to role play with you a couple of times. Have them role play what you think is the worst case scenario say the words out loud to them. Don't let firing somebody be the first time you say those words. And then uh, just remember to have empathy and to convey it in your voice, in your expressions, because... In your heart. In your Very heart. hard to convey empathy when you do not actually feel empathy. <laughs> That's true. You know? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when you're, you're, you're talking to a person... So like, it, it, it's easy, at least for me, to feel empathy, but not convey it. I've realized, yeah. like, yeah. I have yeah. sort of a resting scowl. And so, <laughs> like, so like, you know, uh, something I'm, I'm working on, excuse me, I'm working on, but like, yeah. so just, just remember, like, people remember how you say it more than what you say. Yeah. And they remember how they feel more than what you say. That's true. And with that, thank you so much for making the time for us. Um, If anybody's interested in um, diving in full force into your management development plan or program, like where's the, how can people find you? I guess is the best way to ask this question. Yeah. Yeah. So the easiest thing is um, just go to my LinkedIn profile. You can, people can like, Message me about it. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm LinkedIn slash, you know, I N slash Derek Jankowski. Connect with Perfect. me. I'll, it's good. It'll me. be linked yeah. in the show notes too. So. Cool. Yeah. And then right. also my featured section that you can, you can click on a read info, but feel free to message me. I'm happy to talk to someone about it. Oh my gosh. So exciting. And then that podcast one more time. This is everyone just as much as a reminder to myself, next level sales leadership, a live podcast. Oh my gosh. Managing and leading people is not like selling. You may have been the top rep. Now it's harder to know if you're crushing it or getting lucky. There's a whole stack of skills to learn, listen in and get ahead of the game. I cannot wait to listen in and get ahead of the game, Derek. So thank you again. For joining us and for putting out these this brilliance and for being a voice of of reason and logic and accuracy amongst the sea of white noise and misinformation and and most importantly for purpose of of today thank you for making the time for us friend Thanks for having me, me friend 
Yeah. Oh my God. This is fun. It's my pleasure. And you know what? And great job on handling that that gender and race conversation <laughs> in, the tech, in the tech leadership space. And I meant every word of that compliment before. All right, listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends. Thank you too for joining us for the conversation through to completion and happy selling. Thanks, Amy. Goodbye, Derek. Bye. Man, that was heavy, but necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, but I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Maybe we can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please, by all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but, you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal, we are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, Please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff. Legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come sit up on my lap. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium count because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to the, them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro, and that's a wrap. I can't. I can't. I can't. So... This is Pete, your disclaimer specialist.
coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because this is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations and with everyone being so open and honest um, I must be so here goes um, as the outroer to the outroe I'm sorry I apologize you know I I misled you intentionally as your attorney, I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. Um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, but again, these are difficult conversations that we're, Amy's having with, with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So... We can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness like the Mars rover. Maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.